So today we are talking about the book of Philemon. And for those of you that are at Dallas Church, you know that we gave out some journals and we did a sermon series on Colossians. And at the back of that journal, this journal that many of you have, is the book of Philemon. And so we thought that it might be a great opportunity to chat about the small but mighty book of Philemon. And so my name is Emma Ann. You've probably seen me around Dallas Church and on stage. I often get the opportunity to emcee and speak about communion on Sundays. And I'm here today with my really good friend, Kate. Yeah, so I'm Kate. You probably haven't seen me around Dallas Church. Um, I'm one of Emma Ann's friends, and I'm currently uh, leading one of the small groups we're doing a series on biblical interpretation, a class on biblical interpretation. Mm -hmm. And in our class, we did the book of Philemon. And so Emma Ann asked if uh, we could sit down and have a conversation, kind of rehashing what we did in our biblical interpretation class so that you guys could have the opportunity um, to get some of the insights that we were able to gain through our study. Yeah, yeah, it was a really great conversation that we had, so we're excited to talk about it some more. Um, yeah, so with that, let's just dive right in. The book of Philemon. What do you think are some things that it's easy to miss when it comes to the book of Philemon? Yeah, this first one sounds really obvious, um, but I think that's why we miss it, um, is that Philemon is a letter. And when we think of the letters, we think of maybe we refer to them as the epistles when we talk about the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of just a fancy word for letter. So I think calling it a letter kind of gets us in the headspace of thinking about what it really is. So the last time I wrote a letter, Gosh, I can't even remember. Mostly I write emails. Yeah, I was going to say emails probably are better. <laughs> but we write. But the last time I act, when's the last time, right, you actually sit down, um, sat down and wrote a letter? And so letters are documents that you write from somebody, usually one person, to another person or a group yeah. of people. Um, and you have a specific person uh, or purpose for writing the letter. And so that's true um, in the book of Philemon. And that can even take us into kind of the, the context of thinking about, well, how do first century people write letters? Because not only is this a letter, um, it's a letter that was written a really long time ago. And yeah. so it's not necessarily written in the same way that we write letters or like we were talking about emails yeah. today. So let's go ahead and, and I can walk us through just some of the ways in which um, first century letters are a little bit different yeah. than 21st century letters. Yeah, that sounds great. The other thing that I wanted to mention before we started was if you haven't read the book of Philemon recently, I would pause us and just take a cursory reading of it because it's just one page, as you can see, but there's a lot packed in there. So um, yeah, so just give us a pause and read it over and then dive back in with us because you do want to have it fresh in your head. We're not probably going to read it. Um, out loud, but we will bring up some passages as it's relevant. So yeah, let's talk about letters. Yeah, so um, just like if, if I'm to sit down to write an email or any sort of letter, um, frankly, I'm probably going to do it on my computer, so I'm probably yeah. just going to pull up a template. Um, but that idea of a template kind of gets us into the headspace of there are different parts that we include in the different yeah. literary things that we construct. And so that's very much true for first century people writing these letters. And so what I'm about to say isn't just true for the letter to Philemon, but it's true for most of the letters um, that we call the epistles in our New Testament. So letters always start with a greeting. So it's essentially the from. And this is different from the way that we write letters because we end letters with the from. But first century letters, that's how they start. So they do the from and then they do the to. So you know exactly who the letter is, was originally intended to. Then they, that's followed by a prayer and a thanksgiving. Um, sometimes a couple words of encouragement or praise are included in that. And then it moves into the body of the letter. Yeah. Uh, the last part of letters 
the conclusion. Sometimes there's, you know, some some closing remarks. Sometimes there's reports about who's traveling where or where Paul intends to be traveling, and then often there'll be greetings from people that Paul was working with. And that's the basic format of those yeah, New Testament letters. Which we letters. see all of that in Philemon. Yeah, we do so, have, we do yeah, have all those parts. Kind of mini one. Yeah, so whenever you're mm -hmm. sitting down to read a letter, it's a really helpful thing to kind of track through and see, okay, where am I at in the parts of the letter? Yeah. Because if you don't have the idea in your head that there are these specific parts in the letter, then you're not gonna be looking for them. And you can find yourself being a little bit lost. Yeah. Just like if you were to open a business letter, today and you've never seen a business letter you might be confused of where why this big address is here or why this formal language is being used all of that's just something we do when we write business letters yeah. and so again uh, Paul is following these kind of conventions as he writes this letter yeah so something that I I think of when we talk about letters is do you think that like what was it like to other than writing a letter right we have this form that we talk about but then how difficult would it have been for Paul to write this letter and what would that have looked like? Would it have been, and like, because they didn't have UPS then. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, they didn't, they didn't have, right? We have our, our mail service, yeah. our national mail Amazon. service. <laughs> we have Amazon. They have none of those things. So that's a great question. What, is it, what does it even look like? You know, they don't even have paper like we yeah. do. Oh, yeah, um, most, <laughs> yeah, most people can't read. So how do yeah. you know, you have to think about all of these things when they're, you're writing this first century letter. Um, so some, some things to think about is first, uh, when we picture Paul writing letters, we probably picture Paul sitting in a study by himself, right, with his mm -hmm. bookshelves all around him, sitting at a desk by lamplight, right? He's got like a pen and is like writing thoughtfully in the dark. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, that never would have happened uh, because you know, Paul didn't have that paper. Paul didn't have ink. Um, Paul, Paul was a traveling man. He built tents for a living. So that's what he spent his days doing. Yeah. So he never would have had, you know, he didn't have a study. He didn't have a house to sit in to write letters. Um, so just our initial image of when we think Paul what, of, what Paul would have looked like writing letters, it's just, it's totally not true. Yeah. So we have to think, okay, what is a more accurate image that we need to replace that with? So this letter is a great example because this one's uh, written from Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother. So we know that Timothy had a significant, uh, significant role in writing this letter. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have included him up here. Yeah. So that means that maybe um, since Paul was in prison, Timothy might have been doing a lot of the legwork um, in coordinating the scribe, which I can talk about next. So these letters were written together, or yeah. many of them were, and this one is one, one example of that. Scribes is something I just brought up. Um, so because, because you didn't write your letter on paper, um, you would have written them on um, papyrus, which was super expensive. So to get a letter written wasn't as easy as just going to Walmart and buying, <laughs> and buying all your supplies so that you yeah. can send off your letter. Um, the, supplies, the supplies cost, like equivalent of today, could have cost up to like a couple thousand dollars in order to send one letter. So it's a big investment when you're choosing to write a letter. So what that should do is all the letters that are, we, do, we do have, there's a certain weight right? They were written for a specific reason, and there was a certain urgency in getting the message that's in these letters out. And so that's why... a big investment. To yeah. yeah. Yeah, it would have been a big investment and to, for Paul and the other people who, who write the letters. It was worth the cost because it was so important to get these messages, and, and they weren't maybe able to be at the churches, so they wrote these letters. So the materials are expensive, right? The tablets. Um, and then the way that Greek letters are written is that, um, so these letters are right, they're written in Greek, and they're all would have been written in all caps with no spaces, 
no punctuation. So like you, even as you read them, right, you have to just be able to know where one word ends and where the next one begins. And so the scribes were hired in order to like cram as many letters on a page as possible because you spent a lot of money to get that piece of paper yeah, or the papyrus. So chocked full of anything that you, <laughs> you do. You do. And yeah. you get funny little glimpses of this because there are different moments in the letters and, and in Philemon there's one of them where Paul says, um, I... Uh, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. And so what that indicates to us is there was a scribe who was writing out this letter, and at some point, Paul grabbed the stylus and said, okay, they have to know it's me writing. Um, and in one letter, he even says, you can see my big letters, because Paul wasn't a trained okay. scribe. Yeah, so he probably was like, this is wasting a <laughs> yes. little bit of space. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so Paul was willing to write, waste the space in order so that people would know yeah. it was him writing. Yeah. So all of that to say, the scribes were the people who were actually doing the work um, of, of getting these letters constructed. So Paul and his team would have been working with scribes to kind of coordinate, okay, here's what we want in the content of our letters. And then the scribe would have worked on that and given them a draft, and they would have reworked the material. So again, and that also brings us to the idea of, of these aren't things that Paul just like sat down and in 10 minutes scribbled out. Yeah. These were really, really thoughtful works, because, partly because of the expense, um, but then also if you're going to have a scribe working on it, you really want to have your best work out there. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. he would be kind of relaying that, I'm assuming, to the scribe, and mm -hmm. how else would, yeah, so. Yeah, they would have been working that way. Yeah. And then and then the last thing to mention in, in just the letters, and this isn't necessarily a, applicable um, to the book of Philemon. We don't get any, any hints of it in Philemon. Yeah. Um, but there would have been people who had to carry the letter. So we mentioned, right, there's no mail service. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So somebody is, is, is sent with the letter to go to wherever the letter needs to go. And often, that person is someone who would have been... Um, performing the letter because okay. most people couldn't yeah. read. So the letters were read aloud. And so that person would have performed the letter and then had there been questions, that person probably would have been instructed by Paul in giving an explanation or exposition. Okay. So that's materials. probably not somebody they would hire as a third party like the scribe necessarily. That would be somebody who knows them. That, you know, can... yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, sometimes there might have been someone who, who wasn't you know, like one yeah. of Paul's crew that yeah. was sending the letter. So, for exa example, this letter, Philemon, is pretty short, um, and we're not given a send. We, we don't know who was sent with this letter. But, like, with Romans, Romans is one of Paul's most complicated letters. Yeah. And we know that someone named Phoebe, um, she's a deacon, yeah. and she was sent with the letter to read it and then to answer questions yeah. about that okay. one. Yeah, so maybe not, like, a definite thing, but something to kind of think about as you're reading through it. Mm -hmm. Maybe who would have, yeah. Yeah, yeah, all of this is just to give us context so that when we sit down and think, okay, I'm reading the letter of Paul to Philemon, mm -hmm. it's easy to mistake the letters as being something that is, is written to us and for us, and right, the Bible is for us, but yeah. originally these letters, we, are, we know who they're written to, it says yeah. right in the letter, yeah. um, and so... It's remarkable that these letters can still be for us today, but I think we lose something of, of the original context and even of the whole coherence of the letter because the letter, when we forget that it was written to someone thousands of years before us, it can get confusing if we read all the you statements as the letter as yeah. being directly to us, it can get confusing. Um, and that's because we do have to remember there was an original audience and there was this original world and context in which the letters were written and sent that is different from us today. And it's a wonderful gift that we get to learn about that and yeah. think about that as we read them. Yeah. So that kind of brings us to, this is the letter written to Philemon. Mm -hmm. So what, like, in the beginning of the letter, it says, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and a name I can't pronounce, 
Um, Aphia. Aphia and Archippus. Yep, beautiful. Our fellow, <laughs> thank you. Our fellow soldier and church and the church in your house. So that was kind of where, like, what would having a church in your home look like? What does that mean about Philemon? Mm-hmm. Kind of. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, so the, the hint, yeah, the kind of the hints we get about Philemon all, all come from within this letter. Yeah. Um, so we can kind of have it, we know that, right, first century churches happened in houses. Mm-hmm. Um, and in order to have a house, you had to be a wealthier person. Okay. Um, also from this letter, right, we know that this letter um, involves a, a slave who we'll meet soon named yeah. Onesimus, um, who, who was a possession of Philemon's. And so we know Philemon is wealthy. He has a house. He hosts a church. Okay. Um, he has a slave. Um, we know from other materials Philemon lived in Colossae. Okay. Um, so that's a place we know Paul traveled to. And Paul Paul would have, um, it's not that far from Ephesus. So Paul okay. probably would have would have gone there when around when he was in Ephesus. And maybe Philemon would have become a Christian at that point. And then decided to have a house church in order to you know care for the community of Christians and host them um, okay. in his home in Colossae. So we know, yeah, like you, and you bring up a great fact that um, this letter is written to Philemon. But then we're, we get two other very specific names, yeah. and then it's like, oh, and everybody in your house. Yeah. So that's another thing to keep in mind as we're reading the letter is this message, most of it's going to be written in a real specific way to yeah. Philemon. But we have to know that it wasn't just Philemon who got this letter. So it's not like if we're going to use the image of an email again, it's not just an email where I'm the only one who has the password to my email, and I check it, and I read my emails. This, this mail, and most of the New Testament letters, they're kind of public mail. And so when Paul is, is saying things, and we're going to see how important this is to Philemon, yeah. about specific people, everybody knows, and everybody's hearing it. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of a message for the whole, the whole church community. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, it definitely puts it in different <laughs> perspective when you're reading it, and you're like, oh gosh, Philemon's hearing this for the first time, not just... Himself <laughs> in his house yeah. reading this it's by himself. Him yeah. hearing these words from Paul. Yeah, that along someone's with probably yeah, and someone's yeah. probably reading them aloud to him. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that can be encouraging too that to us though as twenty first century readers of these letters were always intended for a bigger audience yeah. than just the one person. They were meant to be passed around churches and meant for whole groups, even though they seem written to one person. So yeah. the letters from the beginning have this nature of not just being to, for one person, but really being intended for a larger group. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is encouraging. I, so basically to get back to the content of the letter, right, mm-hmm. we think about, so we know now kind of the background of Paul and mm-hmm. where he was at. He's writing this letter from prison. Timothy is involved as well, probably helping kind of facilitate all of that. And Mm -hmm. we are writing, they're writing this to Philemon, who would have been in Colossae. Mm -hmm. And so this letter is headed to Colossae. And basically, kind of what I'm getting from the letter, right, is Paul, Paul starts it out, says, you know, what we already read about that it's to Philemon and these other people and also the church in his house. And then we get into, Paul talks about Philemon and... Kind of, he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith that you have towards the Lord Christ or Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And so he kind of talks about like Philemon and Philemon's character a little bit. And then he gets into Onesimus and Onesimus, we kind of mentioned, is a slave. And then, right, he wraps up the letter and he never actually asks Philemon specifically to do anything but he kind of makes it seem as though Philemon's character 
will bring him to come to a certain conclusion after reading this letter. And mm -hmm. so with, like, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit, but maybe let's talk about Onesimus a little bit and kind of what, where Onesimus is coming from. How did he come into the picture? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you bring up a point of, of because we're reading someone else's mail, we, there's a lot of things we read and we don't really know totally what's going yeah. on. And the reality is there's a, there's a pretty significant extent to which we can't know totally yeah. what's going on. So there's a lot we can know from the letters. Um, but this is kind of a fact of, right, if, if you imagine a, like in, in a, a string of emails or a string of letters in which, or let's say, let's say you have an old, old relative who passes away and you're going through all their stuff and you find this big stack of correspondence. Yeah. And, and you'd probably only have one side of the correspondence if they were handwritten letters. So let's say they are handwritten letters. And you could maybe go open and you can even sort them by day and kind of read through them. And you'd get this picture of what's going on but it would only be half the picture. So they would probably be responding to things in their letter that these two people or had had, had a conversations about, yeah. but you're only getting half of that conversation. So maybe you don't know what questions that this person is responding to that had been asked of them. And so that's, we can, the fancy term for that, which we can call that is the situational context of this letter. And so what you're bringing up, the whole, the whole thing with, okay, so we know that there's Philemon, there's Onesimus, there's some sort of um, conflict and disagreement. We know that Onesimus was a slave that belonged to Philemon and had run away or had left. Yeah, or do we really know what went on there? We, we, don't, we don't totally know. We know that um, Onesimus once was meant to be in Colossae, but somehow okay. he ended up where Paul was, which I'm pretty sure is Rome. And so Perhaps he had been sent on an errand and then he just hadn't returned. Perhaps he had just run away and ended up in Rome. We don't know, but we know he wasn't supposed to be there. Okay. Yeah, at he that wasn't time. supposed to be there, and we know that he met Paul, and mm -hmm. that was a meaningful meeting for both Paul and Onesimus, we can assume. Yeah, yeah, we know that. We know that um, Onesimus's meeting with Paul led to Onesimus becoming a follower of Jesus. Okay. And so we know that Onesimus is a follower of Jesus, and then we know that this letter is basically Paul's... Paul, um, Paul sends with Onesimus or maybe sent right before or right after Onesimus okay. arrived um, in kind of as an accompaniment to Onesimus being sent back to Philemon. Yeah. So those are the little details we do know. And so there's so many things we can't know, um, but those things kind of are the, what we really need to be able to understand what's going on in the letter to Philemon. Okay. Yeah. So we've kind of gone into Onesimus a little bit now. So if we kind of summarize the letter in our head, right, mm -hmm. we've got... I'm Paul, I'm writing this to Philemon in the church in his home, and then we kind of go into, this is Philemon's character, and, you know, I'm so thankful for how faithful you are, mm -hmm. and then it gets into, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. This is eight through 10. Mm -hmm. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So... We know that Onesimus is essentially owned by Philemon, and he's, he's away now, and he's not supposed to be gone, basically, is really what we know. Mm -hmm. And then he's planning to come back, and Paul seems kind of concerned mm -hmm. sending him back. And it just makes me wonder, what was, what was slavery like? during that time frame? Like, what would that have meant for Onesimus, basically, to be a slave? Would it... Can you talk about that a little mm -hmm. bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, the one the one thing with, with thinking and talking about first century slavery that I think that um, as 21st century Americans, we just need to, like, 
I, take a take a deep breath and like take our our image and our understanding of slavery off a little yeah. bit um, because slavery means something very particular to us. It means you know the slave trade. It means horrific trafficking of lots of people. And I, I don't want in any way to undermine the significance and the problem of slavery yeah. in the first century. But I do want to say that it was significantly different. Okay. Um, okay. So so that's something good just kind of to know. So slaves um, would have been owned by wealthy people. Um, they would have kind of been seen as semi-household members. And okay. so slaves could actually have money and they could acquire money. And in some cases, they could earn and buy their freedom. Um, and sometimes that would mean then they would be free people but still work for the people who were formerly their masters. Sometimes they maybe would go try to do something else in life. Um, but very much it was the sense in which a master has, has um, responsibility over the slaves in their household. So not just, you know, responsibility to discipline and get what they want, um, but maybe responsibility to help them move up in life. Okay. So that could have looked like um, educating the slaves. So some slaves would have been educated um, in reading and writing so that they could do, you know, maybe tasks and trade um, or other things um, for the people they worked for. Um, and in other cases, you know, it would have been kind of like helping them move up and understand society in, in, in some sense like that. Okay. But that isn't to say that it wouldn't have been dangerous for Onesimus and it wouldn't have been a dangerous situation for Onesimus going back to Philemon, um, because Philemon probably could have killed Onesimus um, if, because he had broken the trust, because he had not done what he was supposed to do. So even though they're slightly different than, well, they're quite a bit different than what mm -hmm. we think of with the slavery that happened in our country, it still is very much, I own you, and basically if you break your end of the bargain, I have this other thing that, you know, so... It seems as though it wouldn't have been culturally appropriate necessarily to discipline your slaves in that way like it would have been in mm -hmm. in what we think of mm -hmm. in our country, but it still was very much a master-owner relationship in that he kind of had his, it sounds like Philemon had the right to kind of do what he mm -hmm. saw fit. Yeah, we really can't get away from the fact that, wait, we talked about Philemon is wealthy, Philemon has a church in his house, yeah. um, Philemon, you know, has a lot of social status, and so in terms, like, Philemon to Onesimus, it's a very big uh, like social differential, and so the way that Philemon is expected to treat Onesimus is pretty low. So there's not an expectation of, of a really wonderful, kind, forgiving treatment. Okay. And so we kind of get the sense from Paul then that, you know, there is a real reason for concern yeah. and there is a real reason for this letter. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering if that was, part, like, we had talked about urgency with letters, that there's mm -hmm. something really important. I, it seems that maybe that's partly Paul has come to care a lot for Onesimus and he's concerned mm -hmm. about this this meeting that's going to inevitably mm -hmm. happen between Philemon and Onesimus. Yeah, yeah, and, and that doesn't have to mean that Philemon is a terrible guy and that's why Paul is concerned. Yeah. Because throughout this whole letter, that's a huge line of Paul's rhetoric. Yeah. Um, so let's maybe get into that a little bit. Okay. So so um, Paul, um, right in this, in this, so right after the intro, the, the from and the to in letters, we get the the prayers and we get the thanksgivings and okay. so that's what we get in verses four through seven of this letter and so first we get a general thanksgiving kind of for all the people in the church probably uh, but then we get a specific one um, in verse seven so I'm going to go ahead and read verse seven it says for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love my brother so this is how we know we're talking he's talking to Philemon yeah. specifically because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you so he, Paul takes the time right at the opening of the letter to give this very specific praise to Philemon to say, you know, um, you bring me joy and you bring me comfort because of your love. So we don't get a picture of Philemon being a concerningly 
um, mean or terrible kind of person, right? He hosts a church in his house yeah. and he is known for his love and his care for the saints, which just means Christians. Okay, um, so he probably would have been in some way supporting Paul as well, maybe? Yeah, yeah, right. he, he might have had a role in contributing to Paul's ministry, okay. but he's certainly contributing just to the growth of Christianity in and yeah. his community. Yeah, so so he's known for being a loving person um, and, and Paul is going to use that as a line of rhetoric um, in his letter. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so let's go ahead and maybe go through. Um, so we're going we're gonna, to um, look at how Paul uses the love rhetoric in his letter in a minute. Yeah. But let's go ahead and, and just think about, um, we talked about Philemon's status. We talked about Onesimus' status. Mm-hmm. Let's talk for a minute about Paul's status. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because he, he's speaking in this letter with some sense of authority, which mm-hmm. is interesting mm-hmm. because if we think about it, Paul made tents for a living. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much money, I don't know how <laughs> that would have been. that is, <laughs> but it does yeah. seem like, you know, Paul is, uh, currently he's in prison, so he's not making any money, and Philemon, correct. we know, is re- relatively wealthy and hosts a church in his home, and so it's just interesting to see this, it, it seems almost like a flip of power, because Paul's writing from prison, yep. and he says, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is <laughs> right. required, I appeal, you know, I prefer to do it this other way, so that's right. interesting. Yeah, yeah, so I think I think maybe the best answer to this, it's, it's kind of a funny situation when you point it out like that, of like, okay, this, we have a wealthy guy who, like, maybe even gives money to Paul, we don't yeah. know, like, maybe he could, he, but he could give money to Paul, yeah. and then we have a prisoner, and the prisoner is, like, making a big claim about how... The wealthy guy needs to treat the slave. Yeah. So I, I think it's you know it's it, it's great to pause and kind of laugh a little even at the yeah the, just the, like well humor, just because he seems situation. almost it, I don't want to say manipulative, <laughs> but it is a little bit like his his rhetoric throughout Paul like the language Paul mm-hmm. uses. It's very heavy very, handed. <laughs> yeah. No, it's very much like I think you're great. But also, because mm-hmm. of your character, this mm-hmm. is what you should be doing. Yep, yep. And I, so I think, kind of coming back to why, how is it that Paul can write, announce in the first line of his letter, I'm a prisoner for Jesus, um, and I have no money, and I make tens, you know, write this letter to this high-status man. Um, and I think it kind of, even a part of it comes in this first line is, right, he says he's a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Yeah. Um, and Paul, right, is this missionary who's dedicated his whole life for the work of the gospel and for the work of Jesus. Um, and later in the letter, um, in verse 18, we we see, um, oh no, in verse 19, Paul says, um, say nothing of you owing even your own self. So from that, we can kind of derive that, um, right? Like I mentioned earlier, it was probably Paul's interactions with Philemon that led to Philemon's own salvation. Okay. And so if we're to think about how these two people are to relate, on one hand, they could relate based off the money they have, which we were kind of pointing out, it's kind of a laughable scenario because Paul's in prison, has no money, Philemon has a lot of money. So it doesn't make sense. So they're not really relating on financial status. No, then. they're not. Yeah. They're not, and they, it, it wouldn't make sense for Paul to write this letter if they were. So we have to understand that that Paul would have been a very respectable man because of the work he did for the gospel. And when I say respectable man, that would have been in the eyes of other Christians um, because Paul would not have been a respectable man in the eyes of the wealthy non-Christians. They would not have cared about Paul in prison, right? So, but for the Christian community, right, to to be lowly, right, to be like Jesus, to lower yourself is the act of service um, and is what all the ministers are called to do is to be low. 
slowly in order to serve others. And so that's how Paul is acting. And, and that's why Paul has this spiritual authority where he can kind of appeal saying, I'm an old man and I became a father to this man. Um, he's kind of using his, using his age and his knowledge and his um, spiritual maturity in order to exert some power to get Philemon to do what the, he believes the right thing is. Well, and maybe even just, it seems like a spiritual, you know, we all have people in our life that are discipling us. Mm -hmm. and it seems like that's kind of the relationship yeah. here is yeah. that Paul is in a lot of ways like a spiritual counselor, guider for right. Philemon. Yeah, that's and it. so that gives him that authority to yeah. talk about that. Yeah, no, that's a great way of putting it. And I mean, at the end of the letter, right, Paul says that like, I hope to come, I hope to come visit you. So yeah. there wasn't like Paul's just trying to be a tyrant here. There's yeah. a, there is a relationship there. Um, and it's out of, you know, the relationship's best interest that Paul's acting. I always think that part is funny, though, because he's so bold. With his, <laughs> and then he's like, but also prepare a room for me because <laughs> I'm, I'm coming to visit. I'm coming to see you. <laughs> no, it's really funny. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it makes sense. But it, I think that also kind of speaks to the relationship a little bit if you think about it, because Paul feels that he can be so bold mm -hmm. with Philemon and then know that, Philemon's still going to love him mm -hmm. and want him to come visit. Right. So, yep. it, you know, as funny as it can be just in an overall brief reading of yeah. it, it's, yeah. it also speaks a lot to the character of both of them. So we just have been kind of talking about those bold claims with what I said about, you know, hanging, like him saying, prepare a guest room for me. Mm -hmm. But we haven't, now I'm thinking about it, haven't really gone into those bold claims. Do you want to go yeah. through those a little bit just in the letter? Yeah, so so right, we encourage people to read the letter beforehand, but I yeah. think it'll be helpful to point out what exactly we're talking about when yeah. we say, Paul seems to be making some pretty heavy-handed, borderline manipulative kind of <laughs> claims that he's asking his audience yeah. to do. At least persuasive. Pers Maybe very persuasive. persuasive. There we go. Yeah. Highly persuasive <laughs> claims. Um, so just, just um, to think about our structure that we talked about. Um, so right after the from and the to, we get the, the prayer. Um, it's often, it's a prayer, it's a blessing. Sometimes there's a little bit of like a praise of someone's actions built in there. And so that's what we get in verses 4 through 7 of this letter. Okay. And verses 4 to 6 really are um, kind of a, a praise and a prayer to the whole church. But it's verse 7 where it's specific to Philemon. So I'm going to go ahead and read that. It says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. And because it says the my brother here, that's how we know that Paul's now talking specifically to Philemon. Okay, yeah, okay. so he's the chief recipient of the letter. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So Paul's going out of his way at the beginning of this letter to praise Philemon specifically for yeah. his actions. So right there, um, we kind of have, right, Paul... Not anyone would praise anyone for their actions, yeah. right? So it kind of takes maybe like a spiritual mentor to say like, good job on that. Or So we get this sense of, of Paul's relationship to Philemon in, in that specific praise. And then, um, right, which we already read a little bit earlier in verse 8, but I'll read it again. We say, it says, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. So he's saying, I could tell you what to do, but... I'm not going to because of love. So I'm just going to let you choose the right thing to do. But by saying that, he's already indicating what he expects yeah. of Philemon. And then he goes on to say, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. So I think he's kind of pulling the sympathy card here because he's saying he hasn't brought up his age before, but he's like, just so you know, like I'm old and I'm in prisoner. I'm a prison. I'm in prison because of my love for Jesus. Yeah. And so he's kind of like elevating himself. I think kind of like inching up and up um, because there would have been a sense in which you, right, you respect your elders. Yeah. Um, but then also he's again, highlighting the fact that like, because of, 
my, like my dedication to the church and because of my dedication to Jesus, I have, am in prison. So like I kind of have some claim over you. Well, and, you and also almost as if, you know, because of my love for Jesus mm-hmm. and because of my desire to spread the gospel, I have lowered my own status. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And so he's, yeah, he's kind of, that, that, that's a really good point there. So then, um, let's go ahead and, and... Do you want to read the other times that he explicitly... Yeah. Yeah, so he says, um, I would have been glad to keep him with me. So, right, so Paul's saying, I could have kept Onesimus. Mm-hmm. He says, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but, by, but of your own accord. And so he's saying... Um, I could have just done this thing. It was a small favor you could have done to me. I didn't have to really ask your permission, but instead I'm doing this other thing um, so that you have the opportunity to choose how you're going to act. Yeah. And so he's saying, I'm not going to force you to act good. You get to choose to be good. Yeah. But I could have kept Onesimus mm-hmm. with me and you right. might not have even known no, unless <laughs> right. somebody mentioned it. Right, right. So. Or unless I wrote it about it in another letter just yeah. to let you know that I was going to do this and keep this as a favor oh, yeah. from okay, you to yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah, but he's saying, but you get to choose how you're going to treat this person, right? So it's, it's up to you. And then later he says, um, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. So again, we're looking at how Paul is elevating himself spiritually, and he's using that kind of spiritual mentor position to kind of tell Philemon how he needs to act, even though Philemon's like a wealthy and notable person. Yeah. So here he's, he's highlighting that um, in gospel work, Paul doesn't see himself, right, as way above him. They see, he sees them as partners. And so he's yeah. saying, if you really are going to act as my partner, here's what you have to do. You have to treat Onesimus equal to how you would treat me, Paul, your spiritual mentor. And so he's making a really, um, a really strong claim here in, in equating how Philemon should treat Paul with how Philemon should treat Onesimus. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think as we go through the letter, we kind of see... We see him use really interesting language in that way because mm-hmm. Paul describes Onesimus as his son, basically mm-hmm. saying, I, Paul, feel that Onesimus is my son, I'm his father. And then he calls Philemon throughout it, my brother. Mm-hmm. And then as we get down, then he says, let's see, where is it? Um, he talks about welcoming Onesimus back. This is verse 16. He said, for this perhaps is, or sorry, this is verse 15. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bond servant, mm-hmm. but more than a bond servant, as a beloved brother. Mm-hmm. So there's all this family language, which is interesting if we, you know, get back to what we were talking about with Philemon being this person of status. And then Paul saying, well, because of my love for Christ, I have lowered my status. Mm-hmm. And then all of this family language with mm-hmm. Onesimus and Philemon and what that looks like. Do you want to track with that a little mm-hmm. bit in the letter? Yeah, yeah. So I think what, you, what you're bringing us to is we've looked at the kinds of rhetoric Paul is using and his yeah. appeal to his own authority um, and his appeal, like his, his authority that he gains by being a servant of Christ, mm-hmm. right? Paul's making those strong appeals all throughout the letter. But we have to ask ourselves, what is this issue that is, is so worth it to Paul and it's so concerning that Philemon yeah. acts this way that he's willing to employ all of these really strong statements? And you really highlighted it in verse 16. Um, it's that it's seeing 
Onesimus, no longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, as a beloved brother. That is that is really Paul's end in this whole letter, is you need to see Onesimus as a brother. Um, Which and, also kind of, if I can interrupt for a second, it mm-hmm. just it makes, even though we don't know what Onesimus did in order to fracture this relationship, clearly it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. So this is something that Paul is writing to Philemon and saying, look, I know this was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm asking you to do, yeah. even though this was a big deal and this hurt you yeah, and in it, whatever way. Right. And it is a big deal in a way, too, even if even if what Philemon did uh, or what Onesimus did to Philemon by our standards wasn't that significant. To them, even just the relationship between master and slave would have been so significant that Paul is is kind of making an out there unexpected claim and that's why he has to use all this rhetoric Um, and that's and that's why when he when he lays it out and says you need to treat this person as a brother um, he continues after that statement to lay out more rhetoric trying to convince Philemon to act a certain way because it is a is a really significant big deal and ultimately um, I'll just say it now and then we'll explore how he does it this this whole letter is about how we need to redefine our relationships from being based on social status or class or how someone made us feel or treated us, all of those things have to be rewritten in the family of God because this, like you said, it uses family language. We use family of God language in here. And instead of seeing other people based off these different statuses, we need to see people as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we don't even need, we not just need to see people as our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to treat them as if we see them as our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul outlines, right, what that treatment looks like here. Um, And so let's go ahead and look at how kind of he develops that theme throughout here. So he uses all this language of, of like you said, family, child, and father, and son, and love, and beloved, um, in order to kind of get Philemon to do this. So the first time it it happens, we actually already looked at in verse 7, because it's where Paul takes the time to give this specific praise to Philemon, and he says, um, I've derived joy and comfort from your love. So right away, he said, Philemon is the kind of person that is a loving person. Yeah. Um, this, is how he's, this is how he's framing Philemon. Um, he's saying, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So, okay, so Philemon is the kind of person who is a loving person, and he is that person because he's the kind of person that refreshes the hearts of saints or Christians. So, so the Christians around him are refreshed by his yep. attitude and love. And yep. So yeah, Philemon treats Christians well. That's what Paul's saying. Like, good yeah. job, you bring me comfort and joy because you treat Christians well. Yeah. Um, and we can assume because Philemon hosts the house church, there's going to be all sorts of different kinds of Christians in his house, right? Maybe we have different social classes, different genders, different, you know, backgrounds. And so Paul's praising him for treating all those people well. Okay. And so we kind of have to have that in the back of our heads as we, as we continue through. Um, so then the next time we kind of get this sense of this family language is in verse 10, right? He says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. So Paul is reframing his own relationship to Onesimus as one from, you know, while Paul's a prisoner and a runaway slave to saying, I am a father and this is my child. Mm-hmm. And so that's how he's, he's um, going to see Onesimus from now on in this letter. Um, and then in verse 12, he follows it up with this very funny statement where he says, I am sending him, Onesimus, back to you, sending my very heart. So now how we should see Onesimus and Paul's heart is equal. So Onesimus is Paul's heart. Yeah. Um, so that's how we should be reading that. Um, and, and, and that's important later on in this letter um, because um, when we see this in verse 20, 
In verse 20, it says, yes, brother. So Paul is, is calling right Philemon a brother. He's saying, you're my brother. I want some benefit from you in the Lord. He says, refresh my heart in Christ. Okay. So earlier, right, in verse 12, he said, I'm sending my heart to you. I'm sending Onesimus to you. And now he's saying, refresh my heart, refresh Onesimus in Christ. Mm-hmm. And what that refresh should take us back to, right, is verse 7, where Paul says, Philemon is loving. Philemon is loving because he refreshes Christians. Mm-hmm. And now he's saying, okay, I'm sending my heart to you. It's Onesimus. And he's saying, refresh my heart, refresh Onesimus, just like you do with the saints, just like I said you do in verse 7, just like I say that brings me joy and comfort, that you treat Christians well. And now he's saying, if you really are the kind of person who, right, we talked about, uh, is, a, is a fellow worker, mm-hmm. is someone who works alongside us, if that's who you truly are, which is what I believe you to be, and what I'm, I'm writing this letter, which will be read in front of your whole church, and they believe this, you to be this kind of a person, mm-hmm then that means you need to treat this slave, this slave who's returning to you, who maybe you don't feel obligated to treat well and you don't want to treat well because they have done something to wrong you. Mm-hmm. You need to treat them as you treat all Christians because the ultimate way on which you base your relationship with them should be the fact that you are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that dictates how we treat each other. Yeah, yeah so that kind of then ties into really well, you know, this can we can look the whole bible this way but also you know especially the new testament we kind of look at it and we're like okay i can almost relate to that because it's it's a little bit easier for me to digest than most parts of the old testament but it still comes down to you know this was written to philemon and these people lived a long time ago so how can we pull that back in i think initially when you read philemon it's easy to kind of see it as very specific but it mm-hmm. does clearly have a lot that we can apply to today, even though, I mean, you know, I don't own slaves. <laughs> Neither do you. Neither of us are slaves. Neither, so yeah. that's clear differences. Mm-hmm. However, we still are called to relate to each other, not mm-hmm. by our status, mm-hmm. but by our faith. So do you want to talk a little bit about, like, the application to today? How do we pull everything we've talked about and pull it into today? Yeah, yeah, I love what you said about this letter seeming very specific to Philemon. Um, because it's easy to read some of the letters and think, like, this is written to me. It says, love your neighbor. I have neighbors. It says, yeah. right, <laughs> use the fruit, yeah. of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Oh, I, I can, I relate to that. I know those. I need to be like that. Yeah. But with Philemon, right, it, this is, the, we read through all the rhetoric. It's, it's very specific, right? Paul trying to get Philemon to do something. And so it's hard, yeah. it can be hard to see ourselves in that. Um, but if there's ever a time reading the Bible or reading this letter where you kind of feel like stuck on the top, you just kind of have to ask like, what are they really trying to do? And when yeah. we get down to it, where we say, right, like Paul is, is saying, don't relate to Onesimus on the basis of how we treated you and on the basis of the fact that you're a master and he's a slave, right? He's saying your job is to treat him based off your shared relationship and shared love of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just treat him that way. Pardon? Just actually see him mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. Like not just treat him in a certain way. Yeah. Like reframe your brain yes. to see him this way. Yeah. And yeah. And so I think that really is kind of the takeaway for us too is um, as I walk through my life and as you walk through your life and as, as everyone does, we are not to walk around think, treating people based off the fact that they're male or female, based off the fact that they're you know American or not American, based off the fact that they have a great job or a terrible job, great based on the fact that you know they have money or they don't, or 
you know, they're related to us mm -hmm. or they're not, or they wronged us five years ago mm -hmm. or they didn't. Like we're, we're called to set all of those things aside and say like, no, we are all equal before the throne of Jesus Christ. And God sees us all equally. And God, um, like to become a Christian is to be adopted into the family of God. Um, and if we're adopted into the family of God, like we're all adopted. Like, mm -hmm. like we can't act as if one of, there's no, no um, reason for superiority over one of one another because, because God doesn't treat us and see us on the basis of the way that the world works for right for Philemon it was he he was a high status but God doesn't see him as a high status any more than God sees Onesimus as a high status yeah. um, right everyone is everyone is equal um, we're all you know humans in the eyes of God and we're all sinners in the eyes of God and we all have been had to be adopted into the family because we couldn't earn our way into the family of God and so we have to we have to look around and and not you know see each other based off the standards that the world gives us to measure people and ourselves even. Um, but we have to treat and measure people based off the fact that they are all our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's that's the basis for the way that we care for other people. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's the letter of Philemon. I think we should just leave it right there. I think that's we should. Definitely challenging. Yeah. So. Yeah, and yeah, if the if the the letter of Philemon is Paul's shortest letter, it's 355 mm -hmm. words <laughs> in Greek. <laughs> but it's a punchy one, and yeah. I think if it doesn't leave you with a pause and and with a with knowledge that you need to change the way that you treat the people around mm -hmm. you. Um, then you haven't read it right. So thanks for reading Philemon with me. Yeah, this was fun. I'm <laughs> glad we were able to do this.